Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. The Bulls are winning a crazy amount of games. They have the best record in the league since December 8 and are a top 5 team in pretty much a lot of a lot of key statistical categories since that point. And I guess the tank is well and truly dead at this point until I guess the front office do something about it, maybe dealing Miritich. But even then, we've got Zach Levine close to returning. So the Bulls are a different team. It's the state of the franchise at the moment. And with 2018 just upon us, New Year's come with New Year's resolutions. And in 2018, I'm trying to be a more positive person. And I, I guess I want to be a more positive Bulls fan in 2018. So to do so and to learn the ropes on how to be a positive Bulls fan and really have that irrational level of confidence in the franchise, irrespective of what facts may say sometimes. I've got the biggest Bulls homer I know joining me on today's show. You all know all know him. He's a prominent Bulls Twitter, uh, Twitter person. He's the head of the C-Red movement and the host of the Chicago Bullseye podcast. He's Fred Pfeiffer, otherwise known as CBE Fred. Fred, thanks for jumping in on the show, mate. Mark, it's an honor to be chatting with you. Uh, I, I can't tell you how excited I am. I think most of the people who follow you and I on Twitter uh, view each other, uh, that we view each other with a great hatred, that you're my nemesis and vice versa. But I have nothing but love for your brother. And although I, I will admit we do disagree a lot on uh, most things, probably, there are a lot that we both have in common. One of them is a love for the beloved Bulls. And that love is overflowing. I can tell uh, recently with some of your twi- some of your <laughs> tweets. I think the most the, the, one of the greatest moments I've had recently was seeing uh, one of your followers say, "You're sounding like CBE Fred." And I just had a good laugh after that one. I said, "Hey, dude, don't compliment him too much. You don't want it to go to his head." So that was good stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, you say that that, that that tweet that I made, I was completely being sarcastic, but uh, honestly, oh. P, I wasn't serious about that tweet, but it, it came off sounding similar to you. So, uh, look, it's obviously uh, a, a huge compliment when someone tells me <clears throat> I sound, I'm starting to sound like CBE Fred. So, um, <laughs> but look, I'm I'm, I'm uh, happy you're on the podcast. It's been about six or seven months since we last spoke on a podcast, and I think the last time we did speak, the Bulls hadn't really made that franchise-altering decision of trading Jimmy Butler for, for the package they received. So I think we were talking about Dwayne Wade and Rondo at that point and how they performed after their first season as Chicago Bulls. So uh, it was even before free agency in the draft, I think, at that point since we last spoke. So a lot has happened since. Things have changed, and the Bulls, I guess, have changed in the space of three weeks. They've gone from being 3-20 and and being the worst team in the league and having the best odds at landing that top pick in the draft to all of a sudden being a team that's won 10 and 10 games, lost two, got the best record in the league since December 8, and they're pretty much on track now to being a Cinderella story, similar to last season's Miami Heat, where they sort of flipped the switch and all of a sudden started winning games and getting back into that playoff hunt. So crazy, crazy season to date. And I wanted to ask you straight off the top, do you feel vindicated? Given that you're the the head of the Sea Red movement, and you know, you know you're obviously this super positive Bulls fan, now that the team has gone on this inexplicable winning run, do do you feel vindicated at all, Fred? I don't know if vindicated is the right word. I, I've always felt a little bewildered at just the general negativity that the fan base has towards the front office, and and I think I understand why it's there. I think a lot of it had to do with the Tom Thibodeau firing. And we've kind of touched on the reasons why in previous podcasts. 
But one thing I don't think you can really question the front office about is their ability to judge talent and to draft players. And I saw it way back in 2009 when they drafted Taj Gibson and in, in what the, I think it was a 26 pick. Um, and then, you know, obviously hitting a homer with, with Butler at 30, taking Noah at nine, you know, th- th- those kind of picks weren't, weren't just no brainers. They were absolutely fantastic picks. The Butler pick alone, GMs will have entire careers and most of them will never have a pick as good as Jimmy Butler at 30. Even the smart, the great San Antonio Spurs pick right before the Bulls in that draft and took Corey Joseph. Imagine how they'd feel today if they had Jimmy Butler, right? So I, I understand they've made mistakes, as all GMs do. Um, and I've never really understood just the focus, the, the tenacious focus of the fan base and the hatred for John Paxson. You know, I just think he's a lot better at his job than, than most people do. And I saw it again this year. You know, I, I, I hang with a devout uh, group of Bulls fans, and, and one of them is a gentleman by the name of Doug Tonus, well-respected. I think you know who he is. And yeah. uh, There's few people who I think are better human beings or smarter when it comes to talking about the Chicago Bulls than, than Doug Tonus. And every year for uh, as long as I can remember, as long as I've known him, he's had a draft party. I was at that draft party, and, and the fans who go to that party are the elite of the elite when it comes to knowledge about the Chicago Bulls. And to a man, including myself, there was a collective groan in the room I mean, by the time the seventh pick came around, the Bulls already completed that trade, and everyone was shouting, including me, from I think the majority were shouting from Malik Monk. And then they took, you know, Larry Markinen. And just the collective groan, the collective anger, and what is this? This is horrible. And and then here we are today. Is there anybody in the universe who would rather have Malik Monk ahead of Larry Markinen? You know, they've done it again. And I was wrong and they were right. So that's happened so much during my my years here following the Chicago Bulls that I've kind of felt like they, they know what they're doing. I don't understand, you know, the, the, the frustration when it comes to, you know, identifying talent. So that that's in general, why I have a general much, much higher opinion, you know, even, and I, I know a lot of fans like Sylvie, um, who's a, you know, great Bulls fan, very knowledgeable. And he'll point to years like, you know, recently where they haven't drafted as well. And I'll counter now with, um, yeah, they, have, they haven't had top picks, right? They've been drafting a little bit later in the draft. But let's just look at, like, for example, 2015, when they took Bobby Portis at 22. Now, if you go back and look over the last five years at that slot where they picked number 22, Bobby Portis is by far the best pick taken at that slot. You can go all the way back to Fab Mello, who was taken by the Celtics. Fab Mello, unfortunately, is deceased. But in that draft, you know, the Celtics needed a big man. At 21, they took Fat Sollinger. At 22, they took Fab Mello. And then later in that draft, uh, obviously, Draymond Green was drafted. Now, the Bulls had, uh, at that time, the 29th pick, I believe. They took Teague, and they've been hammered ever since, right? But they didn't need a big man in that draft. They had Rose in a hospital and his knee just repaired, and they already had uh, just signed Noah and they had Tosh Gibson who was about three signs. So, I mean, you could point out mistakes, right? They passed on Draymond Creed. So did everyone else. Uh, most people will point at Doug McDermott and, and say what that was a disaster. I don't really want to get into that right now. I guess we could, but I'll, I'll counter with, <laughs> no, let's, let's avoid that. Yeah, let's avoid that one. But there's a lot of reasons I could justify it. Um, 
but just 2015, Bobby Porter's at 22. Now, isn't that a home run? I mean, isn't Bobby Portis worth every bit of that pick at 22? And go back and look. There's no one else I'd rather have. So, uh, you know, my my positivity, I think, just goes from that fact that I have a lot more faith in, in John Paxson than most. I mean, look, you raised some good points there, and clearly you've uh, rehearsed that script before because <laughs> you definitely came 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 uh, ready with those facts there. So you've obviously um, fully embraced the Paxson era, and I, I understand it, and, and you do make some good points there. And whilst there are things there that I could disagree about and go on about, as I said, I'm trying to be more positive. So let's move on to more positive topics, which I guess <laughs> is this team right now. They're winning 10 and or they won 10 games out of their last 12. So we're recording this prior to the, uh, the Wizards game on New Year's Eve, but it'll be out pretty much on New Year's Day. So I'm trying to be a more positive Bulls fan in 2018, but I'm a, I'm a little bit conflicted at the moment, Fred, because I was part of the tank team. I think you were pro-tank as well at one point, but it seems like now you're driving the big red bus. I think that's what you're calling it towards the playoffs. So uh, my question to you, Fred, is what do you truly want this team to be doing right now? Should they be trying to be pushing towards the playoffs and continue this run that they're currently on and towards the playoffs? Or should the front office, front office be intervening somehow and trying to get the uh, the tank back onto the rails? Yes, yeah, so this is a great topic, right? I mean, obviously, they've won 10 to 12. And I think anyone who has a love for the Bulls are excited because you see a lot of these young pieces actually growing. Marking in with 32 yesterday. Uh, and, and Dunn, to me, is the most exciting part of this whole run, right? I think he's been... Absolutely fantastic. And and if he ends up being an all-star, then I think there's the, the, the opportunity for us having what it takes to win a title already here, just with Levine, Markin, and, and Dunn. So that's why I do also understand some of the people who say, let's just forget the tank and let's go for it. I think it's possible that we have everything we need to win a title here. Although I also understand the counterpoint that, you know, this is a there's a couple of players in this draft that are going to be franchise changing. Let's embrace the tank. Let's embrace the suck. Let's, you know, purposely try to lose and let's go for that and try to get one of these players on a team friendly contract. So I see both sides. Right. Um, I know how conflicted you must be as as the biggest supporter of Nico Miritich that I know <laughs> and the way he's played in the last 12 games. I know you felt that I was, you know, as you pointed out on Twitter. Yeah, I've uh, pointed it out a few an, times. Very, you know, just very uh, anti-Nico. Anti and and, and I, I, I take issue with that. I, I don't feel I've been anti-Nico. I feel like I've called Nico out for what he was. I've, I've always kind of felt like I've been against the crowd on Nico. I didn't understand a lot of the love for him during his first season with the team. I didn't think he played that well. I think – you know, he, he was able to get to the line, and that's what really, in March of that year, and that's what really kind of propelled a lot of his stats is just a huge percentage of points from the free-throw line and able to get to that line. But, you know, like you see with a lot of players, once the, the book gets out on stopping for the pump fakes and, and on what, how to defend a player, I think he, he, he regressed badly. And the fact is he shot 40 from 40% from the field that year, 31% from three, and those numbers to me just aren't good enough. Um, and then the following year, Fred Hoiberg's first year, I always said that I thought he was excellent. I thought he had a fantastic second season, shooting 39% from three. I mean, 
to me, I know there's a lot of people that disagree that Nico can do this, Nico can do that. And I agree, he's, he's got a decent post game. He can do a lot more on the floor than necessarily just shoot threes. But to me, that's his biggest, what he's got to do. That's his biggest strength if he wants to be an NBA player. And I mean, right now he's shooting 48.3% from three. Uh, that's why he's been so good. That's why he had, he's got, look at his game yesterday where he had 28 points. He was fantastic from three. And, and that's why he's so valuable is when, and I love it when they combine him and Markin and playing Markin at the five and Nico at the four and teams have to come out and guard that. And there's big guys have to come out and guard that just creates mismatch after mismatch. And it opens up, you know, those lanes for run. They're like runways for players like Dunn and, and Levine, hopefully when he comes back soon. So I see nothing but positives here. The only negative I, I do see is, and I, I do feel that the Bulls management and everything I've heard from my contacts that I, I know and respect and I know who are on the inside there, I, I think the Bulls are going to deal him. And uh, they're going to deal also Lopez, and they're probably going to deal you know, one more player to really embrace the tank and, and really make sure that you know we're not out of the lottery. Um, so I think that's the direction the team's going to go in. But also there's a part of me saying they've won 10 to 12 and they've looked so good and they, they really are embracing what Fred Hoiberg preaches. And we don't even have Levine back yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like how good could this team be right now? If you step back and look at it, the bulls are 13 and 22. We're only two and a half games behind the most beloved team in the NBA, St. Hickey's. <laughs> uh, Philadelphia 76ers and and we all know they're the greatest team ever I mean they're 15 and 19 and, and you know so we're only two and a half behind them who are near whatever this of their rebuild in the process the Knicks are between us and then we're only there's only two teams between us in the eighth playoff spot it's it's like not out of the realm of it's it's very possible that we can get to the playoffs you know I, I feel that there's no team in the in the East besides the Celtics and Cavs that I think the Bulls absolutely have no chance at, right? I mean, the Bucks are fourth in the East. Is there anybody who's seen the last two games against the Bucks that say the Bulls wouldn't have a chance? I, I don't see. I don't see. You know, I don't see, say that it's possible. So, I know I've kind of gone on a lot here on some <laughs> different fine. topics, but uh, you know, I I, I see both i'm fine with both ways whatever choice is made i know i joke around about taking the big red bus but it's fun right mark i mean how great has this been 10 to 12 and looking so good and seeing nico maybe at 26 starting to really get it right i mean what do you think i mean it has been fun fred like i mean it, it hasn't just been veterans i guess leading this team so whilst guys like robin lopez have been playing well and and justin holiday has contributed We've seen Chris Dunn all of a sudden turn into, I guess, a capable starting NBA point guard. And he was just abysmal in his rookie season. And given how quickly he's turned things around, it does it is encouraging for what he potentially could be, is assuming he can lift his scoring efficiency. And and just yesterday, Lowry Markinen dropping a career high 32 points and looking incredible and doing that at the same time when Nikola, uh, Nikola Mirotic had 28 points and hit eight threes. Like, it, it is fun. Like, there's no denying it. It is, it is fun, and I can say that as a pro tanker. But like I said, I'm conflicted. So um, it, it's an interesting point from the for the franchise at the moment. And I guess the next five to ten games may make or break their season, depending on how they go. And, and January 15 is obviously close approaching, and that's when the Bulls can deal Mirotic. And, and you mentioned that you're hearing that the Bulls front office still want to, 
I guess, get this tank back on back in order and, and potentially may deal the likes of Miritich and Lopez. I'm hearing something similar as well. So that makes sense to me. But it, it is interesting because at the moment, like you said, that they're sort of teetering on on playing on both sides as to whether they want to tank or whether they want to push for that playoff run. And depending on what happens in the next five to ten games, I think that may determine this season. But let's assume they keep pushing towards the playoffs. Like again, in line with the the whole positive thoughts type thing, is Lowry, Markin, and uh, Chris Dunn and Zach Levine enough to justify not tanking? I feel so, but I know I'm alone on an island there. I get. Let me step back one second. Uh, everything depends on how good Levine looks, right? If if he's shooting 38% from three again and he has the athleticism that he had before, how can you not say it's enough? I mean, they have three. I, Lord, I, looking at Mark and he's what he did yesterday, 32. I keep telling myself he's 20 years old. I can't recall seeing a big man walk in the league with that type of shooting ability and just and just start playing as well as he has. He's just absolutely surprised me, and he's so much better than advertised at every aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I mean, I remember talking to a couple scouts saying, you know, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to rebound at the NBA level. Now, I didn't see him enough at Arizona to tell you whether or not he rebounded well, but I know I've, I read a number of reports questioning his rebounding ability, and so far from what I've seen, there's, there's no question he could rebound. I think he's he's a far better rebounder than everything I've read. So he's better than advertised there. He's better than advertising the defensive end. He's a lot more th- athletic than I expected. I honestly just expect him to be a, a good shooter. If anything, that's been the only aspect of his game that I've been a little bit disappointed in. I mean, he's only shooting 33.8% from three, right, in his rookie year. But he's 83% from the, from the free throw line. He's 41% overall. He's, he's surpassed everything I've ex- I've expected out of a player. And to me, the most exciting thing I've seen is when he does go to the post, because I think it's so important that, you know, he gets those mismatches. And he's not just able to step out, but also to take a smaller guy in the post and his passing out of a double team in those situations, he has drawn double team. Sometimes his passing has been stellar. So at every, everything I've seen out of him tells me in, in three or four years, he's an all-star. So just getting one all-star out of that deal with, with Butler, a younger player to me would have been a Homer. Then you look at Dunn and everything I've seen, I know I, I, I so frustrated with all the, he's a bust talk. I mean, you can't judge any player after one year under Tom Thibodeau. I know you love Tom, but <laughs> Tom is, does a lot of dumb uh, – uh, no, I won't say a lot. He does a few things that are extremely stupid, I feel. And one of them is – and he did it with the Bulls. He's got, he almost sometimes likes to take the entire second unit and play together without any starters. He's done this at, at almost every year. He's coached, and he's, you know, this year he's got his starters in Minnesota playing more minutes together than any other team. I've never understood why he does this, right? I, and he did it with the Bulls. He would almost take the whole, like a whole second unit together, and he would have, like, you know, Nico and Doug together and without any of the, of the, of the better players. And it just frustrated the hell out of me. So, you know, one year under, I didn't get to watch a ton of Timberwolves games last year, but I, I'm, I'm willing to bet he didn't have a ton of done with some of the vets or starters, or he, he didn't really, you know, put him in positions to succeed or build his confidence or work on him as a shooter. Right. But so I knew he had the tools to be 
there's no doubt this kid has the tools to be one of the best defensive point guards in the NBA. And I'm already saying he's, to me, a top five defender. I think he's already one of the best defensive guards in the NBA. So you, we already got that out of him. And what he's doing on the offensive end, attack, attacking the rim, shooting better from the outside than I expected. He's got all-star ability. So now we got two guys who are potential all-stars. And now everything depends on this third one, right? And mm-hmm. we've seen some guys respond great to ACL surgeries. They're, they're, they're in this league um, in ACL and knee injuries. You, know, you look at today. Uh, Westbrook, how he's responded to the knee, the knee injuries he's had, and he's lost very little athleticism. And then you see a guy like, you know, Derek, who, you know, basically he's a shell of himself. So how is Levine going to respond? It's wait to be, wait to see, right? But he still has that ability to shoot at a 38% level. And to me, that's like, that's uh, from three. And that's to me on this team, the one fault is overall, they really only have Nico Valentine and Valentine right now shooting the ball really well from three uh, holidays up to 36%. Uh, but there's only Valentine at 39 and Nico at 48, which is unsustainable. It's an incredible percentage. But if you bring in just Levine with that ability to shoot at 38%, I mean, it's going to improve this team so much. And I'm really excited about seeing you know, Levine, you know, doing a pick and roll with marketing or doing a pick and roll with Nico. It's the, the, the possibilities are limitless. And I think, you know, this, this trade, when we look back, I think that uh, Butler's going to walk from Minnesota. And in two years, we look back, we're really just going to be like, wow, this was one of the ultimate fleeces of all time. (laughs) And for us, all the hand wringing that we had and all the, Oh my God, did we get, you know, just totally screwed in this trade. We're going to laugh, you know? So do you feel the same? Or do see, you, see, that's the positivity you... I wanted to hear, Fred. Now, now my, <laughs> my instant rebuttal to all that is, and this is me, conf- again, conf- conflicting thoughts and my, my inner pessimistic ways coming out and saying, okay, best case scenario, let's assume Lowry Markner and Chris Dunn can morph into all-star level players and, and Zach Levine returns to, at, at a minimum, being the same player he was last season. Let's assume that. And the question still remains, is that enough? Because ultimately, the Bulls are trying to win titles. That's what they're about. They're, they're a big market team. They're not, well, we, we would hope they're not satisfied in just first and second round exits. We want them winning titles because that's what the team is about or should be about. But is that enough to win a title, Larry Market and Chris Dunn, if they're both all-stars? Are the Bulls building a title team with those three guys or are they building the next Washington Wizards? That That's my current concern at the moment if they Great keep question. winning and don't necessarily land a top pick. And even if they were to get a top pick, it doesn't guarantee that they will be a title team, but it may increase the odds. But my only concern at the moment is if the team keeps winning and, and Lowry Market and Chris Dunn do end up being all-stars, are they putting a, a limit on themselves in terms of being a Washington Wizards type squad or a Toronto Raptors or something along that line where they're a second or third team in the East, but not necessarily a true title contender. And that's what I'm a bit worried about. And that's why I'm a little bit, a little bit uh, scared from, I guess, from fully committing to this positive attitude that I want to adopt. That's a great, I mean, it's a great point that you bring up. And I think it's a, a, a very good analogy. Are we going to be the Wizards? And I kind of counter with, I think that's what we were last year. If you really step back and look at it, 
I, and that's part of my frustration about last year is I felt the team, you know, we finished 500 for a lot of the year. That's where we were kind of hanging around. Right. I thought the team should have been a lot better last year. And, and the one guy that caused the team, in my opinion, to uh, underperform immensely was Nico, just because he was so important as one of their legit, only legit three point shooters. And for his 200 attempts, he was shooting 30%. You know, from three, which is horrific, a horrific percentage. If Nico was shooting 48% last year from three with Butler, Lopez, Taj, Wade, you know, I, 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 at Rondo, I think the team would have won 50 games and it would have been a whole different situation. And I, and I still don't understand why he played so poorly. Like, I just don't figure I, I, I understand, you know, Butler is probably a hard guy to play with. I understand Wade is probably a hard guy to play with, but you know, I'm certain when he was raising up to shoot the first 200 three pointers, that was the last thing in his mind. He just wasn't hitting a lot of them, right? Well, hold that and, Miritich thought because we're going to come back to Miritich in a second because I want I want to challenge you on a few of those scenes. But um, okay. but let, let, let's get back to the idea of Lowry, Dunn, and Levine, and, and and them potentially maxing out to being a Wizards type team. Where I guess the Wizards they went to successive drafts, got three really good players in John Wall. Bradley Beal and uh, Otto Porter. So that's a nice three-man core. You've got two All-Stars in there at least, maybe a third there with Otto Porter, given how good he's playing this season. But none of them are really, I guess, top 10, top 15 type players. So assuming that Lowry or Dunn or Levine don't max out in being a top 10 player or potentially even two of them maxing out to not being a top 10 player, is that the risk the Bulls currently run by not pushing towards the tank? I would say no, and for this reason alone, I think Lori Markkinen has a bigger ceiling or a greater potential to hit a top five in the NBA than Wall or Beal. And the reason why is just because of his shooting ability. That's the big difference, right? It, it, I, I always felt when I played ball, um, there are two types of players that I, I just hated playing against. And it's not just me. I think most basketball players, if you ask them, tell me the guys you do not want to play against. And I think guys with immense range that you need to guard 35, you know, 35 feet out, out are, are just a hell on a defense. And it causes you to extend your defense. It causes you to expend a tremendous amount of energy. If these guys that you have, uh, have to guard or especially if they're quick and then guys that are just so dominant down low that you can't stop them like a shack type, right? Everything else, you know, unless you're, you're, unless it's um, uh, Michael Jordan, who's just, can do whatever he wants, but everything else I always felt was manageable. And, and marketing has the ability that can kind of combine both those skills. He can, he can stretch you out with his shooting ability, but he can also take you in the post and I think be dominant there too. I think his ceiling is, is now that I've seen him for these first three months, I think he could be a top five player in the NBA. I think he could be as good as, as anybody that there is. There's all this love for Embiid and rightly so. Guy can do so much on the court, right? Phenomenal basketball player, but he can't stay on the court. He can't. He, and I think he's got the ability to be a poor man's Embiid, except hopefully have a little bit more durability and a little bit more ability to play an actual season, right? Um, and I don't think Embiid's as good of a shooter from the outside as Markin, or you know, eventually that's how it's going to end up, right? So I, I think Markin in ceiling is much higher than most people. Uh, let's hope it gets there. We'll see where it gets there. But when you see games like last night, I think you start seeing a window into how good this kid can be. And uh, it is truly limitless. Um, 
The other two guys, you know, Dunn's, I don't think ever going to be a great shooter, but he's going to be a top, top defender. And, you know, Levine is, it's curious. I don't know how you felt about him before he was hurt. Like I always kind of felt he was, um, you know, and I never understood why he wasn't as better defensively. That's one thing, because he's got all the tools and that bothered me a little bit. Uh, I'm not as high on him, but now that I've seen Markin and I really do feel like if he can be a top five NBA player, then we can be better than the Wizards. I mean, heck, we were already better than the Wizards, even with Beal and Wall, you know, two years ago, right? Um, that very disappointing first year of Fred Hoiberg, the only team that was slightly more disappointing than us was the Wizards. And that was a year when John Wall played on, I think, 79 games. You know, Beal was hurt quite a bit too, but I've always felt the problem with the Wizards is they just don't have enough good players off the bench to kind of fill out the roster. It's never yeah. been a problem for the Chicago Bulls. Never. You know, they've, they've really proven that they can uh, they can fill out a roster. So, so basically what you're telling me is you, you believe Lowry's the next Dirk. Uh, Chris Dunn might be <laughs> the, the second coming of Gary Payton and, and, and Zach Levine's just going to come in and shoot some threes and everything's well, going to be all good. I'm curious to hear your, your opinion, Mark. I mean, now yeah. that you've seen marketing yeah what do you feel that he has top five nba ability i don't i i don't feel he has top five ability he's definitely exceeded every single expectation that i had of him so is chris dunn um but i don't think larry has top five uh, ability i think he can be a top 15 to 20 plate top top 20 maybe if everything maxes out and that, and the reason for that is he's he's so much better on defense and he's much more athletic than what I ever thought he could be. And mm-hmm. he's done so many things in his rookie season that I did not expect to see from him as a rookie, maybe in his third or fourth year, but he showed that already in his first 30-odd games. So I have improved or increased my opinion of him in terms of where he can eventually max out to be, uh, reaching his ceiling. And I think where I hope he could be is be like a similar player to, to Chris Bosch in the sense that not not necessarily Toronto Chris Bosh, but maybe more Miami Heat Chris Bosh, but with more shooting in the sense that he's a two-way player, hopefully can transition to the center spot and can be that, you know, perfect second option to a to a to a team. And obviously Chris Bosch was a third option there in Miami, but Bosch was the guy I really wanted in, in twenty ten, because next to Rose and running pick and rolls like that would have just been beautiful. But I digress a little bit, but I, I think Lowry's my ceiling for Lowry is more, I guess, a Chris Bosch type player who was, I guess, a top 10 to 15 player at his peak. But do mm-hmm. I think he's got top five potential? I, I don't think so. See, that's, you mentioned a team that I'm more, I think we're, we're more comparable to in three or four years, which would potentially be, you know, not, not good. And that's Toronto, right? Look at Toronto with DeRozan and Lowry. They've been good forever. They're good again this year, right? But they've never been able to really challenge the best in, in the East. And and that's my concern is that, you know, the, the Rose and Lowry, obviously top probably 25 players, but they max out somewhere between, I'd say 15 and 25. And I can absolutely see the bulls in three years having done in, in, in marketing and maxing out between 15 and 25, you know? Uh, but that's the thing. It's, it's, Levine is there, right? And he's the, the other guy. Where is he going to max out at? And that's what the Wizards in Toronto don't have. They don't have three guys. They've always had two, you know. So Beal and Wall and, and DeRozan and Lowry, and um, so that's where I, I am carrying a little bit of hope that that those three can really develop. But 
in, a, in the back of my head, I do hear the call tank this year because I think there are some franchise-changing players. And Aiden's I, I absolutely love. I, you don't see an athlete like that come across. He's, he's Embiid qualities physically, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, if you can land a guy like that and control him, for uh, have the contract for six years and combine him with what we already have, I mean, goodness gracious, if we drafted him, let's just throw this out there. Let me throw this out there. If we were able to tank and, and then we'd have that four, you know, how would you feel about our chances in the next three or four years? Yeah, I mean, I'd feel extremely good. I'm a Luka Doncic guy, so he's my number one pick. But even if the Bulls were to, to land DeAndre Ayton, that would be an insane call going forward. Even if Zach Levine, for whatever reason, I don't know, he's limited somewhat by his knee and he can't develop past what he originally was. That's still mm-hmm. a, a really good four-man, a four-man core to build, and and you'd have a group of guys that are anywhere between say nineteen and twenty-three years old. That's for the next, let's say eight, say eight seasons at least. You've got a really, really nice core of of, of players to build around, and, and that would be beautiful. It would be. It'd that's be great. right. But yeah, that's that's yeah. that's why I'm a little bit concerned with this winning. But again, we're trying to be positive, Fred. So let's move on to maybe the biggest positive of this season in terms of someone reaching their ceiling, and that is Nikola Mirotic. And we were talking a little bit about him before, but um, my question to you, Fred, is how conflicting is this for you? Because you said you're not a Mirotic hater or you were just pointing out the facts, but I disagree. I I respectfully disagree, (laughs) Fred. Now, um, what I want to know from you, I guess, is one, how conflicting is this for you? And two... For Bulls Nation, are you expecting him to be dealt? You, you've sort of mentioned that's where the front off, front office is sort of positioning themselves, but do you want him to be dealt? All right. Well, let's start out with the first point, how conflicting it is. Obviously, <laughs> his first game back, he didn't have a great game. I think I tweeted, uh, breaking news, Nico still sucks. And you've been throwing that in my face again, game after game. I must, I must admit, I, I get a, a pretty good laugh out of that because you were absolutely 100% right on Nico uh, this season. He's really been incredible and fantastic. Nico, to me, though, he's the, the most likely guy to be traded just simply because his contract, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people weren't aware of this, and, and Casey Johnson kind of reported this today. But yes, he's yep. got a two-year deal with a team option. If if the team if the Bulls pick up that option, which is a very reasonable, I think it's twelve million in year two, at the at the at the level he's playing, there's not a team in the league that wouldn't want him, right? Uh, so it's a and, and then he loses his no trade. So it's a the Bulls can trade him to whatever they want if they pick up the team option. If they, if there's a team out there, let's say like the Lakers, who would just want him as a, a potential guy to 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 cut. And to me, the Lakers are a natural fit for Nico. They're the worst team in the league. They were as of last week. I haven't looked recently, but they're the worst team in the league at shooting a three pointer. Nico shooting at a forty eight percent rate. I think there's like a natural fit there for Nico Meritich. I think he'd be a good person to add. And um, and he doesn't wait. And let's say the Lakers say we don't want to pick up that second year yet. I, I I'd be shocked if Nico says I don't want to go to L.A. Right? Uh, he would have the no trade if the team does not pick up the option. So it's just a very tradable contract. It's a very tradable contract. It's a another great signing. My whole thing is I, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like if it's for a second round pick, do you really want to just trade Nico? 
if at 26, what happens if he does have it figured out now? You know, it's not unheard of for a guy at 26 to really start, you know, performing and playing well. And that's my biggest fear. Because I know you've said that, and I, I completely disagree with it. I, I know you've said, well, you kind of have this theory that the Bulls have held Nico back. And, you know, this whole situation's been awful for Nico. And as soon as he goes to a place where they, they truly know how to utilize him and truly take advantage of all his talents, he's going to be one of the best players in the league. I don't believe that at all. You, right? you mean like how, they, like how they're using him this season? Is, is that what you're referring to? <laughs> how are they using him this season? That's well, he's, he's actively involved in the seasons. offense more. Well, yeah, but he's still shooting a ton of threes. That's his whole point. Like, that's, to me, the whole difference. He's shooting 48% from three. This I mean, season would look exactly yeah, sure. the same as last if he was shooting 48% then instead of 30% for the first 200 shots. And the that's big, why I, The I really, biggest difference, though, Fred, is he doesn't have Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo ahead of him in the offense in terms of ball dominance. So right now, he, he does have the ability to be... The first option, obviously, you don't want necessarily to Miritich to be your first option, but even if he was to settle into a second or third option who, I guess, could playmake, and we saw yesterday in the uh, in the game there that he was sort of making plays out of the post, whipping passes around and, and really making some great plays as a facilitator, which is not something he had the ability to do when, I guess, he was more of a catch-and-shoot player last season. So that's what I'm referring to when the Bulls haven't used him correctly because of their roster construction. But now he's uh, he's in a role that I always envisioned and the results have been pleasing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I laughed out loud at that one where you were like, what a facilitator. I, I can't remember one of your tweets, which I, I totally disagree with. Where, <laughs> you know, And I think I replied, now, if you want to see a facilitator, look at Valentine. I don't think he has Valentine facilitation ability, right? No, he I doesn't because he's better. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> how dare you i i just don't think he's a great passer i don't think he's a fantastic passer i think his assist numbers back up my assertion uh you disagree you think he's a lot better at passing than i do he's better defensively this year than i expected he's definitely and i heard pax in this on an interview answer this question which was why do you think he goes better this year and just you know third fourth year in the league it, it you just become more and you know you understand what to expect you you learn these things you get better after a few years and i think he's right i think that's uh, uh, it uh number one i think number two is he's just shooting the three-pointer so well i think to me that's all the value around nico comes around that and he's shooting at a 48 percent rate are you are you kidding me i mean this is insane and when, look at him yesterday you know just knocking down three-pointer after three-pointer everyone that went in i laughed because i thought of you Every time he does something great, I just I do laugh because I'm like, oh, Mark, somewhere he's like, I know I was right. And, hey, you deserve credit. You're his biggest backer, and you've always believed in him. And last year I was you know, just absolutely uh, – his first two – like I said, his first 200 shots shooting at 30% rate. I thought he was horrible for the vast majority of last season. And it seems like you're saying, well, it was Jimmy's fault and Wade's fault. But I would counter – on most teams, he's going to be the third option, right? And if he's not, then that team's not going to be very good. Um, you know, the Bulls have won eight, ten, and twelve, and I think you'll probably say he's probably the primary reason. I don't feel that way. I think the primary reason is, you know, Dunn and and Nawaba coming back, and I think it's been a combination of factors. It's not just Nico. Yeah, no, I agree. But, with um, that. I agree with that. It's yeah, a combination so of I, things. Yep. I mean, as soon as Nawaba came back, you saw a team 
play much better. They were very competitive all of a sudden after being blown out for several games. And hey, he's no doubt made the second unit one of the best second units in, in basketball. And I think if he does stay on the team, I, I think it would be a great story that he could potentially be the sixth man of the year and Bobby Porter could get second place. I mean, what kind of can you imagine that story? You should do a 30 for 30 on this team this year. It's just been incredible. But I mean, overall, I do feel he's going to be traded. And I and that's the question, though. Do they get a number one for him, a late number one? Like, I think there's a lot of teams that would potentially could use him. I think the Wizards could use him. I think Houston would he'd fit in really well there. I think, you know, there's a number of teams that are competing for uh, in a playoff spot that would love to have Nico Miritich. It just uh, that's to me everything is can you get a number one for him because I'm not in the business I, I know a lot of people wring their hands about these number two picks nine out of ten number two picks are disasters I don't care about number two picks I want number one picks yeah well I mean the Bulls have a history of trading away second round picks uh namely <laughs> the one <laughs> that led go. to Jordan Bell but uh we won't digress because we, we're trying to keep positive <laughs> we're trying to remain positive but uh look we'll, we'll find out what happens with Miritich probably in two <laughs> weeks time on. anyway I, I do want to stop real quick because okay. this is obviously, I mean, if anybody wants to get a good laugh, you can see my, or who was at the, everybody knows who uh, was at the uh, Doug Tonus draft party. I was talking about Jordan Bell throughout the whole night saying if the Bulls could get him in round two, you know, this would be one of the greatest nights ever. <laughs> I was, I, I've been a fan of Jordan Bell since he was playing in Oregon. Yeah. And when they drafted him, you could, everyone could go and look at my laughable tweet where I was saying, you know, one Jordan, one of the greatest picks ever. And now here it is, another Jordan. This is one of the greatest picks. It was just a laughable thing when they traded him. I honestly felt like somebody hit me with a two-by-four in the balls. And I was very, very disappointing. Uh, very disappointing moment. But to me, that whole trade has always been more of a problem with, man, with, with the ownership as opposed to John Paxson and Gar Foreman. And no matter who we bring in here, those whoever we bring in here is going to have to deal – with the limitations that that ownership group places on their GM and, you know, they place small market limitations on a big market team and it sucks, but I don't, I've never looked at that trade and said, sticking packs and gar. I've always kind of felt that's been more on ownership. Do you agree or do you disagree? I do agree. That was clearly an ownership decision. Um, it was clearly about the dollars. It wasn't necessarily about uh, Jordan Bell himself, but I will say that, that Paxson didn't really handle the situation well in terms of how, I guess, he addressed it, and, and he didn't really sense the room. He didn't understand how much Bulls fans really hated that move and, and how, uh, and how uh, I guess, how much they really loathed the front office at that point. So the way he sort of came out and said that he wasn't even on their draft board at it uh it made things worse, I guess. But again, Fred, yeah. we're trying to be positive, so let's let's move forward. <laughs> um, gotcha. And I know I don't have you for too much longer. I know you've got to attend a uh, a C Red uh, rally and speak <laughs> at that. So I, I want to ask you a two part question here to just to finish up. But and, and again, this is something you've been been toting here on Twitter, and I, I'm sure there's a. Uh, uh, you're joking to some degree. At least I'm, I'm hoping you are joking, but um. Uh, I guess my question is, Fred, how far away are the Bulls from a title? And in follow-up to that, how does one join this Sea Red movement? How does one become a Sea Red homer? And what are the prerequisites? <laughs> the prerequisites are, number one, to let go of the hate. This is, you know, you're not in Chicago, so you don't no. see 
you don't, you don't see what the city has gone through for the vast majority of my life. I'm 44. So, uh, you're only 44. I'm, how dare you? What do you think I was like 80? I'm 44. A very young 44. The Chicago Bulls have brought me more joy than all the other teams combined. They've brought more, they've brought six titles to the city, right? You know, the Cubs have had one, the Bears have had one, you know, the Hawks have been the only team I'd say that's been remotely close to a successful. You add them all up. The Bulls have been just fantastic for the city. And the the general negativity I've always felt is just ludicrous. And I still feel that way. I, I do not think these are bad times. I do not think that they're helpless times. I think what we have built so far in this trade, we should all be excited. And I think you're seeing it on the court. And if you're still going to be negative and focus on all the mistakes they've made, what about Doug McDermott? Well, you also have to counter and say, yeah, well, they also did Butler and they also got Bobby Portis at 22 and they also got Valentine at 15. And, you know, I'm really kind of liking some of the stuff. Nawaba uh, off of waivers. I'm kind of liking some of this marketing at seven. You know, when nobody wanted him at seven, you got to You got to step back and, and also counter with that. Right. I mean, the city and the fan base focuses on negatives more so than anything I've ever seen. I, I, it's, it's bewildering to me. And it's not it's not justifiable. And not only that, Mark, I mean, I know just to give you an example, the Chicago Bills organization. Um, I don't know if I've told you the story, but I'm on the school board for my kids uh my kids go to a private school and but it's not a wealthy private school it's a very kind of impoverished area it's a catholic school we don't have a ton of money and i called the chicago bulls and asked if we could have bob love come out as a fundraiser no questions asked he came out was absolutely fantastic with a great message about his life um i encourage anyone to go look up about bob love's life it's just incredible the chicago bulls didn't ask for a dime you know, they just sent them out and, and that's what they did. I, I think they do great stuff in the community. I mean, I love this organization. I really do. And I, and I, I think it's unfair for dopes, millennial dopes, like that <laughs> dummy who puts up the fire guard packs. Like, what's that going to do? Really? You actually started a campaign to raise money to put up a billboard like that's going to work? You, you didn't you know, really? that, Fred? I did. I absolutely did not donate. I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed for any dope. There's this other guy, caller Phil, on ESPN 1000. He's a, you know he lives in his mom's basement and calls up and he <laughs> complains about the whole organization, all the how how horrible John Paxson is, and it's just like I, I know who John Pax. I, I I have a couple of very close friends who are very close with John. I know what a good man he is. I know, and I, all that aside, there's lots of good people in the world. I think he's really good at his job. Really good. Um, he might not, he doesn't lie like Gar. He's not as good with the, you know, he's honest. Um, he does it in, you know, he's maybe not, that might get him in trouble. But, um, you know, I, I do feel like positivity should reign when, when you look at the Chicago Bulls and it doesn't for whatever reason. I think deep down you have these, these positive vibes. You're just not letting it come out. I mean, no one's seen how much you believe in Nico Miritich. He was, who we, we, we acquired, uh, you know, he was picked at number 23. And you know, well, you're not going to find a lot of good players in the 20s. Like, there's a lot of guys not in the league. So, um, you know, I think, I think deep down, you really have these positive vibes. It just, it's, it's up to you to make them come out. 
Well, that's it's why you're on the pod, Fred. You, you, you're helping me get there. And that's why I, I refer back to your tweets that the Bulls are going to be champions in 2020 or 2022 or whatever, whatever the tweet says. These it was ridiculous tweets. <laughs> but, um, I, well, so you tried to catch me on that one. And I, did I remember. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so, and it was, there was a very subtle difference. There's two right. plans. There's a little if caveat. They don't t- if they don't tank this year, if they tank, I think the Bulls will win in 2020. Because right. then they'll get, they'll get one of these great players. But if they don't, and they go with the core three, 2022 is the year. It's going to take a little longer. they got they got to figure out something to bring in one more player. Right. Uh, but, I mean, look at all the cap space they have. Aren't you excited? Aren't you excited what you've seen? I'm excited now, Fred. You're getting me hot. I'm, I'm ready to end 2017, and I'm ready to bring in 2018. And- I'm going to be this more positive Bulls fan. And if I'm not, I want you to call me out on Twitter. If I'm <laughs> being an asshole and I'm being a douchebag and I'm making these negative tweets, I want you to call me out on it and I want you to set me straight because I'm trying to be more positive in general. And after this podcast, Fred, I'm, I'm so I'm so hyped. It's Sunday morning here in Australia. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm definitely well, feeling the love right now. I'm not kidding. This is how I start a lot of my mornings. In the neighborhood, I open up my front door and I yell, "I'm still a Bulls fan." I was doing that in October <laughs> and November, and my neighbors look at me like I'm nuts. They all know I'm a big Bulls fan. And then now, when I do it, when I open up the window and the door and I yell, "I'm still a Bulls fan," people, I see nuts. Hey, this guy's not nuts. This guy really knows what's going on. I got. <laughs> can I finish up with one more question for you? I got to ask you something. I, I guess go for it. Let's let, let's say hypothetically, I buy the team. And I call right. you, Mark, and I say, Mark, I want you to be my advisor. I want you to take the Doug Collins role. I'm firing Doug. Right. I'm going to give you two choices. Two choices. I can hire Sam Hinkie or I can keep John Paxson and Gar. Yeah. What, what would you advise me to do? So, so my first question would be is how did you come into your billions of dollars? Because I don't want to be associated <laughs> with someone who's made a, made a living uh, you know, very corruptly, let's say. So that would be my first my, question. But assuming you answered that part. satisfactorily, um, I would say Sam Hinkie. But at the same time, you would, if I was to say that, you'd probably fire me on the spot. So I might say Garpax because I've landed the job of my dreams and I don't want to lose it instantly. So um, I probably would say Garpax just to... Uh, secure my income to counter with that i would then ask you so you want to hire sam saint saint hinky yeah and you realize that he drafted michael carter williams at 11 before giannis was drafted at 15 and he also drafted um he also drafted uh you know obviously okafor ahead of porzingis so those two you know i love how the bulls they they missed with doug at 11 those two picks are egregious like the bulls didn't have a chance to get any of those players those are real players i mean we we act like magic and larry bird are gary you know <laughs> gary harris and and Nurkic and and you know that's who we missed out on how horrible but sam missed out on those two Why, how would you justify hiring a guy who so incompetently missed on giannis and perzingis well, I would say, listen, Fred, Giannis, the pick of Giannis at number 15, that was an all-time pick similar to the Butler pick. They're very outlier-type picks. You're not going to be expected to make those type of picks. But what he did do to mitigate that loss was to draft Embiid and Ben Simmons, two potential franchise cornerstones that uh, will hopefully sustain that franchise for 10 years to come. So he did recoup, just like you claim John Paxson happens to 
happens to do and is doing currently with this Bulls squad at the moment. So that's my counter. But anyways, look, should in the event that you do buy the Bulls, which is uh, I'm, right. I'm assuming You're probably fired, un- unlikely, <laughs> I'm sure I'll be fired. But uh, look, I appreciate you coming on. As I said, you've got to get away. Uh, you've got to see yep. Red Rally to attend and to rally up the troops. And, and if, if things keep working out this way, I might make my way over to Chicago and attend one of those rallies one day. But um, That'd Fred, be awesome. I appreciate you jumping on. Um, it's always fun talking to you. Uh, I, yeah. I, I definitely appreciate your perspective. And to be honest, um, I, I do wish I had more more of a level of positivity that you do. And I'm going to try and embrace that a little bit more in 2018. So thanks for jumping on and uh, talking bulls with me. Mark, it's been an honor. I love you, brother. I, I do not accept the analogy. A lot of people say where I'm Batman, you're Joker. I think I'm more <laughs> Batman. I'm I'm more Batman. You're more Green Lantern. That's right. the way I look at it. Is that right? So <laughs> take it easy, brother. Have a good one, my man. Always great to talk to you. We got to have you on the bullseye soon. I'll come on whenever you want me to. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll uh, extend this We got to do this in a month. As soon as Nico's traded, we're having you on our show. All right. No, All deal, right. deal. All right, my man. All right. Thanks, Fred. Have a good one. So that was Fred Fife for everybody. It's always fun speaking to Fred. I know we have our beefs on Twitter, but seriously, he's a, he's a passionate Bulls fan, and on that level, I respect the hell out of him, even if at times I do think some of his opinions are somewhat crazy, but I always enjoyed speaking to Fred. But before I sign off on this episode, I just wanted to say a thank you to everyone that sort of followed the podcast or even read some of my posts up there on Bulls HQ. I really appreciate your support. At the end of the day, I'm just some guy living in Australia following the Bulls from a, from afar, an international fan who doesn't really necessarily get paid to cover this team at all. You know, I'm, I'm doing this as a labor of love more than more than anything else. So when, when I do see people like my podcast on Twitter or, you know, send through a review on, on iTunes or even just share anything I post or, 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 you know, be it the podcast or a piece of writing, whatever it may be, it really does mean a lot. So... Uh, just in the spirits of the new year coming in, I just wanted to uh, say I appreciate you all for supporting the podcast, for supporting Bulls HQ and um, yeah, like I said, sharing any of my stuff because it does mean a lot and um, it's very humbling. So thank you to all who have supported the podcast and the website over the last year. It's sort of been something that I've always wanted to do and I, I guess I'm about nine months into it and um, I'm hoping to keep up this pace for the podcast in 2018 hopefully get a show out every week if I can and then hopefully you know make two to three blog posts every week on the website as well but like I said thank you everyone for supporting me and it means a lot and I appreciate you all and again I was somewhat joking on that podcast that being about being a more positive fan but I, I, I do mean that to some extent I think I think at this point now that the team is rebuilding and as we head into 2018 it's sort of time to almost put things in the past whatever issues we may have with the front office and, you know, the Jimmy Butler move or the Jordan Bell move, whatever they may be, whilst we shouldn't forget those moves, it's sort of at the same time, hopefully time to move on and and look forward to a better period of Bulls basketball. At least that's what I'm hoping for in 2018. So here's to being more more positive in 2018. And again, thank you for your support. I'll be back next week with another episode and um, I'll catch you then.
I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.